Good morning, everybody. My name is John, or depending how old you are, my name is also Scruff. I am the Director of Youth Ministries here at Crossroads for grades 6 through 12. And I'm very excited about this Problem of God series as we're answering questions about life and faith, people's big questions when it comes to the idea of God. And I have probably the most foundational question of does God exist? And I only have 25 minutes. So we need to get started. And as I'm getting um, situated up here, um, when I got this question, I didn't immediately think of Jesus. I immediately thought of my friend Angelo. Where, where did Angelo go? Hi, he's right there. Angelo plays in the band. He does kids ministry on Sunday mornings. He does tech. He's a middle school leader. Angelo's kind of awesome, if you didn't know. And he showed me this one time his favorite website. And before I show you the website, just by raising your hand, how many of you here think a hot dog is a sandwich? Who thinks a hot dog is a sandwich? Who thinks a hot dog is not a sandwich? Well, if you go to isahotdogasandwich.com, you just see this. Ah, no, yes, there you go. You just see the word yes. A hot dog is a sandwich, according to isahotdogasandwich.com. Does God exist? Yes. I'm, I'm here, I'm here as, a, as a Christian. I believe in Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm not going to pretend that he doesn't exist by kind of playing neutral. Here are some arguments that maybe will make you believe in Jesus, that may point to Jesus. Because I think that would be me lying to you. So I don't want to lie to you guys. My position is that God does exist. I believe in Jesus. And I'm going to show you kind of right now through math philosophy, basic uh, logic principles of logic that God does exist. And the, the thesis statement of today is that God exists due to the impossibility of the contrary. God has to exist. It is impossible for God not to exist. So before we get started, we need to go over just a couple, a couple of things. We need to define some terms. So when I say God, I'm talking about the God the Bible talks about. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God who became a man in Jesus. That's the God I'm talking about. I'm not talking about just any invisible guy in the sky. I'm talking about the God the Bible talks about. If I say atheist, I'm talking about someone who does not believe in any God at all or any type of supernatural. And some atheists kind of say, well, I don't, it's not that I don't believe in God. I'm not convinced by any of the evidence that there's no God. It, it gets complicated. Atheists do not believe in any God or supernatural. And Tom did a good job last week talking about what a worldview is. And a Christian worldview is that God defines our reality. An atheist worldview is that the physical world is all that exists. Everything can be explained by a natural, physical process, processes. And to even make that even simpler, all you need to do is think of glasses. We, I do this illustration with the kids, a Christian sees the world through the lenses of the Bible. 
An atheist looks at the world through the lenses of everything that exists is matter and energy and the supernatural does not exist. So we need to go over those terms real fast. And just before I forget, because I almost did, remember, if you have a question about anything, we're t any topic or issue we're talking about during the Problem of God series, write it down for the Q&A session at the end of the series. So again, not only does God have to exist, but the God the Bible talks about has to exist. And immediately, if I'm standing up here saying that the God the Bible has to exist, I think there are three main questions that jump in people's heads. And the first question is, how can you say Christianity is right? Aren't all religions the same? And the simple answer to that question is no. All religions are not the same. It would actually be very um, ignorant and disrespectful of me if I walk up to a devout Muslim, Jew, Hindu, Buddhist, Sikh, and if I go up to them and say, hey, we worship the same God. We believe the same things. High five. They would take that very, dis like, they would be very disrespected. They would think I'm very arrogant. All religions are very, very different. Why can't there be more than one God? And the simple question is, all the religions contradict each other on what they think God is, how he acts, what he does, the afterlife. And let's just take Jesus as the example. Christianity says Jesus is God become man who died for the sins of the world, who rose from the dead. That's the Christian position. Islam says that Jesus isn't God. They deny that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And they actually deny that Jesus actually died. Jews think that Jesus was just a regular guy teacher who kind of caused some trouble back in the day. Mormons believe that Jesus was a God of many, but not the one true God became man. So either one of those views is correct or they're all wrong. And this idea that all religions are kind of the same and there can be multiple gods, this is the, that's a very Western American idea. If you go over to, the, to Europe and the Middle East, they get it. They understand, oh, all these different religions are different and communicate different information about God. Either one has to be correct or they're all wrong. But that leads to the next, the next question of why can't religions get some parts right? The Christians get part A right about God. The Jews get part B right. Islam gets part C right. And if you put A, B, and C together, you have the correct information about God. And a really famous illustration about this is six blind guys and an elephant. You get an elephant in the room, and you have six blind people. And you tell the blind people, tell me what an elephant is like. So one guy is holding the tusk, and he says, an elephant's like a rock, because it's really hard. And another guy is holding the leg. No, no, no. An elephant's like a tree, because it's, it's huge, like the trunk of a tree. Another guy's on top of the elephant. No, an elephant's like a horse. Another guy's holding the tail. No, an elephant's like a snake. And if you put all those pieces together, you'll get an elephant. But there's a, there's a philosophical problem with this analogy is that you need someone to show up who can actually see. 
you just leave the six blind guys there, they're not going to be able to put the pieces together. So the person that says, oh, Judaism has part A right, Christianity has part B right, Islam has part C right, and if you put those together, you'll have God. The person that does that is claiming ultimate knowledge about God, and therefore they are God. But the problem is, you're not God, and I'm not God. God needs to reveal things to us. So it can't be that some religions can get some parts right. They all can't be right because they all contradict each other. There has to be one true faith, one true God. And I'm going to show, because of creation, morality, and truth, that the God of the Bible, the God the Bible talks about, has to exist. And the first one I'm going to talk about is creation. And if you haven't gone on our website and listened to the, to the talk that Tom did last week about how science and faith go together, please do that. It was, he covered a lot of issues very, very well and articulate. And I'm just going to touch on a few other issues when it comes to creation. And the Bible says, page one of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If there is no God, creation is illogical. There is no reason for anything to have come into existence. The universe was once like this empty cup. There was nothing in the universe. It was absolutely nothing. So if I put this cup down and I leave it there for a minute, nothing happens to the inside of the cup. If I wait five minutes, look inside. Nothing happens. If I leave it there for a year, nothing happens. If I leave it there for a bajillion years, look in the cup. Unless something puts something into the cup, it's going to stay there empty. It's going to stay there empty. Nothing comes from nothing. Leave the cup there, nothing happens. But something exists. The universe was once nothing. Therefore, something outside the universe had to have created it. Just how something outside this cup had to put something inside of the cup. Nothing always comes from nothing. Something comes from always something. And the atheist worldview says that something came from nothing. And to me, that, that just doesn't make any sense. Another idea is that life comes from life. Life does not come from non-life. There is life, and therefore the physical universe can't be all that there is. And by life, I mean this music stand cannot create life. My water bottle cannot create life. Humans come from humans. Plants come from plants. Animals come from animals. Life comes from life. But from the atheist worldview, we have life coming from non-life. What the atheist worldview says, that a star exploded, the stardust floated on this planet, caused cosmic mush, maybe a lightning bolt hit it, and boom, there was life. And there's no scientific data out there that says, or any observation in nature, that life can come from non-life. So therefore, something that created had to be 
alive. And God is alive. He's living. He's active. He has a mind. But that kind of leads to the question, well, what created God? And this is the question that always used to kind of bug me, and it still kind, kind of bugs me. And this is how I reconciled this, this problem. An eternal deity makes more sense than an infinite regress. Bunch of words you may not know. So, <laughs> eternal deity, eternal forever. It always has existed. Doesn't never has a beginning, doesn't have an, have an end. Always existed. Deity, supernatural being. A being that's supernatural that has always existed makes more sense than an infinite regress. And an infinite regress, just think of a line of dominoes. Think of one domino knocking over one domino, knocking over one domino that goes on forever. And you try and reverse time to see, okay, when, where was that first domino that got knocked over that kind of caused that chain? And you go on your back and you're trying to find that first domino that caused everything, and it doesn't exist. It just goes on forever. To me, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. You need someone to knock over the first domino in order for it to make sense. So that's how I reconciled that issue. There had to have been something that has always existed to cause the chain and events in life. Point two, morality. And we're going to spend a good, good chunk of time on this. And if, again, if you still have questions about creation and science, go on the website, listen to Tom's talk on it. So we see God's standard for us for morality in Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments. And to summarize, the Ten Commandments is love God, love others, which used to be up here somewhere. But that's what we do at Crossroads. We try to love God and love others. If there is no God, all morals are relative, but some morals are not. Without God, there is no objective, consistent morality, just human preference. And but if you don't know what objective means in this context, it means it's consistent. So something is always the same no matter what. There are objective more absolutes that they don't change so for example me taking baby Leiden back there hi Tinica, and kicking him in the face is always wrong right okay good we're paying attention if baby Leiden in the back was starving it's always good to give him food objective morals exist However, in the atheist worldview, there's no reason for anything to be consistent. And there's also no reason for anything that's not matter and energy to exist. Anything abstract does not exist. In an atheist universe, everything's crazy and chaos. The universe came out of existence, out of chaos, and boom, we are here. It's not, nothing can be consistent. It's just human preference. We'll talk more about that in a second, but I'm saying that morals have to come from God. Well, why can't culture define morality? If culture defines morality, 
then nothing was wrong with Nazi Germany because their culture said gassing Jews is okay. And the funny part is they use that argument in court. The hire of Nazi generals, they're put on trial for crimes against humanity after the war was over. And their lawyers said, you, these men can't be held accountable. They were just following their culture. How dare you Westerners come in here and judge our culture? They can't be held accountable. It's the culture's fault. And the American lawyers went, oh man, they have a point. We don't know what to do now. And the trial stopped. They actually stopped the trial because they had no comeback to that point. Until one American lawyer said that there is a law above the law. And according to that law, gassing Jews is absolutely wrong. And therefore, you need to be held accountable to that standard. And everyone in the room went, oh, that's right. It doesn't matter if culture says gassing Jews is wrong. Gassing Jews is absolutely wrong. It is always wrong. And those generals got convicted and were sentenced to jail. If the culture defines morality, then there is nothing morally wrong with the three-fifths compromise in this country. If you don't remember that from seventh grade history, what, you, what happened is that when you, your Congress, your in the House of Representatives, the amount of representatives you have is based on your population. And some states were getting a lot of representatives. And some congressmen went, that's not fair you're getting all these representatives because most of your population is, are slaves. Most of your population is African Americans. And African Americans aren't real people, so they shouldn't count towards Congress. So they compromised and they said, African-Americans are three-fifths of a person, and that's how we do the math to get the representatives. And I'm saying that is absolutely wrong and evil. Everybody, black, blue, white, green, and orange, is made in the image of God, born with innate value, dignity, and worth, and that was evil. Culture cannot define morality. Why can't our brains, we're smart people, why can't our brains define morality? Remember the, athe the atheist worldview. We got here from stardust. And we are just an accidental collection of atoms that just randomly happened. We evolved through a long period of time, and we got here. Why would we trust our brains to tell us right and wrong if our first ancestors came from stardust. If we just came from lower animals, who cares? And this one really famous biologist, he really struggled with this question. And here's a quote from his book. But then with me is the hard doubt always arises whether the convictions of a man's mind, which has been developed from the mind of lower animals, are of any value or at all trustworthy. Would anyone trust in the convictions of a monkey's mind if there are any convictions in such a mind? If I'm just an animal who evolved from a lower animal, from a lower animal, all the way back from stardust, why should I trust my brain to tell me right, wrong, or any accurate information? This scientist really struggled with this issue, and his name was Charles Darwin. 
Darwin had serious doubts in his own theory because he understood what it meant if we all just came from slime, from stardust. And the biggest thing is this, when it, when it comes to morals, good, evil, absolute good, absolute evil, bad stuff happens in the world. There is evil. And next week we're going to talk about why evil exists and if God is, is good and all-powerful, why is there evil? And Tom's going to get that topic. He's on payroll. So he can cover, he can cover that issue. But I would, I would argue that because there is evil, there has to be God. And Tom referenced a, a really smart guy. His name is Ravi Zacharias. And someone encountered him and he said, well, God can't be real because there's evil in the world. And this, this was Ravi's response. When you say that there's too much evil in this world, you assume that there is good. When you assume that there is good, you assume a such thing as a moral law on the basis to determine between good and evil. But if you assume a moral law, you must assume a moral lawgiver. But that's who you're trying to disprove and not prove. Because if there's no moral lawgiver, there is no moral law. If there's no moral law, there is no good. If there is no good, there is no evil. What's your question? And that is the argument. Culture can't define right and wrong because that can change. Our minds can't define right and wrong because then that can change. If we're defining right and wrong, then nothing is absolutely right or absolutely wrong. If humans are just a biochemical reaction biochemical accident. If your brain is just brain fizz, and if my brain fizz is different than your brain fizz, who cares? Who cares what stardust does to stardust? If I want to come out, take your wallet, punch you in the face, who cares? We're all stardust. There's no absolute right, and there's no absolute wrong, just human preference. And an honest atheist understands this. Richard Dawkins, a very outspoken atheist scientist Tom mentioned last week, he on record will not say that rape is absolutely wrong. He won't do it because he knows the rabbit trail that causes. What he says is this. He says, in my opinion, it is my preference that rape is wrong and I prefer it not happen but it's just my opinion. That's absurd. If anyone that thinks that, it's absurd. Rape is absolutely wrong. Kicking a baby is absolutely wrong. And for those absolute objective things to exist, it has to be given by someone outside of us, outside of our own brains. And like I said, if humans are just a biochemical accident, who cares what we do to each other? In the end, we become fertilizer. So what? And I just want to say this again. You, like me, have probably had really bad things happen to you in your life. And next week, we're going to talk about 
why evil exists and how God takes care of that. But if there is no God, there's no right, there's no wrong, just human preference. Just human preference. Well, how does this point to God? How does this point to the God the Bible talks about? Just how I said that something creates something. Life comes from life. Morals are personal. So their source has to be personal. And the God the Bible talks about, God in himself is a personal being, the Father, Son, and Spirit, living together in perfect community, in perfect harmony forever. God is a personal being, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, together loving each other in relationship. God is personal, so he can create things that are personal. If God were just one by himself, just one, not three in one, he wouldn't be a personal being. And again, next week, we're going to tackle the issue of if there is a God, why is there evil? We're going to tackle that next week. Truth. If there is no God, truth can change. However, truth does not change. If the physical universe was all there was, we have no reason, again, for anything to be consistent because the universe is just random chaos. But we don't have random chaos in our universe. We have things that are consistent. Gravity is consistent. Water is consistent. There's consistency in the universe. But there's no reason for there to be anything consistent if the universe was just random chaos with no God governing over it. All physical laws of science stay the same. Logic is not random. Mathematics is not random. Random chance does not get order, design, or consistency. And I'm going to show you right now how this works. We, we couldn't make this up. We couldn't make this up. So I, I have a math problem just to make my mommy happy. Um, hi, mom. So is 2 plus 2, 4? Good. I was thinking Amanda was first. She gets a sticker. <laughs> oh, my wife. Oh, sorry, baby. I love you. You were behind. David's tall. Anyways. Okay. 2 plus 2 is 4. Yes? Is 2 plus 2 always 4? Okay. It's absolutely 4. It is always 4. It's never 3.99999. It's never 4.1. It's never 3. 2 plus 2 is 4. This is the question. If no human beings existed, or before human beings existed, would 2 plus 2 still be 4? Yes. That means we did not con construct logic, math, and science and the laws of logic. They were here before we got here, which means they had an intelligent source. Basic laws of logic existed before humans existed, which means there was an intelligent mind who defined it for us, for us to discover. And some people say, well, we made up the names. We made up one, two, three, four. That's irrelevant to the conversation. This many plus this many gets this many every single time. I don't know. 
truth, math, logic, had to have been created by someone other than us, by a creator God. And the atheist worldview cannot answer within their worldview why those things are consistent, never changing, and are here in the first place. They can't answer within their worldview. They can't, they can't do it. And some, some people, um, they, they also kind of get kind of cute. They, their main comeback is that, well, I believe nothing is true. I believe everything is subjective. Everything is a fantasy. I believe nothing is true. And if anyone ever um, does that to you in conversation, do you, all you need to do is say, is that true? I believe nothing is true. Is that true? Yes, well, you just contradicted yourself. I believe nothing is true. Is that true? No. Well, then why do you believe it? It's, <laughs> it's silly. It's silly. Truth exists. Logic exists. And Jesus said this. It's a very famous Bible passage. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when Jesus says the phrase, I am, he's identifying himself with God. God defines truth. He created truth, logic, mathematics, science. This is in the book of Colossians, talking about Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether, on, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In Romans, it says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This is go back to the Colossians verse. For by him all things were created. That's including math, science, logic, the abstract. All things were created by Jesus. All things were created for him and by him to point to him. Logic and math and science exist to point to Jesus. And in him, and in him all things hold together. And I would have to go back to the, that picture I had of the guy flicking the dominoes all the way down. That's really a, not a good picture of God. God didn't just start everything and then sit back and watch. God started everything, but he's also in everything. Science works because Jesus is king and lord over science. Gravity stays consistent because Jesus is in control and he's king and lord over gravity. Mathematical laws work because Jesus is king and lord over science. All those things work together because Jesus is in control of those things. Because he's in all and through all and in him all things hold together. Nothing happens in this world that Jesus doesn't know about and that Jesus isn't in sovereign control of. He knows everything. He's in control of everything. And that includes math, science, and logic. 
He is king and lord over those things by, because of his sacrificial death and his resurrection. And now everything is under his feet. Everything. All things. So, last week Tom pointed that science points to God. I went over how creation again, morals, basic laws of logic and mathematics and truth point to God. And if you're here and you, you don't believe in God, I would just I would humbly ask you, what evidence do you need? Ask someone who brought you here. Ask a small group leader, myself, Pastor Tom, one of the elders. What evidence do you need to start believing in Jesus? And ask that question honestly. I've heard answers to this question, oh, I wish the moon got a happy face on it the next morning. If you're honestly a a asking that question, ask it honestly. Talk with someone. What, what really, what do, you, what do you need? Everyone here worships something. Something is number one in your life. Something is the number one purpose in your life. I've just given you a whole bunch of evidence that number one should be Jesus. Think to yourself right now, if your number one isn't Jesus, what is number one in your life? And then what's this overwhelming amount of evidence that that should be number one in your life? That that's what you should ultimately worship? Because everyone in here worships something. And again, just humbly, I've heard a lot of answers to what's number one in your life that's not Jesus, and I, I haven't heard a good one yet because everything else fails. Money, power, all those things can fail. I haven't heard a good answer yet. So think to yourself, what's number one in your life, and what's this overwhelming amount of proof that that should be number one over Jesus? And the thing about the thing about this, this idea of God and believing in God, it's not, it's not a head knowledge issue. It, it's a heart issue. And as, I'm, as I wrap up, the band can start coming back up to get ready for a couple more songs. The Bible says that we all need a new heart. Our mind really isn't the issue. It's our heart. Atheists have PhDs. Buddhists have PhDs. Christians have PhDs. It's not a head knowledge issue. It's a heart issue. And the Bible says that you need a new heart, and God needs to take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, a heart and desire to know and seek after God, to want to obey him and want to follow him. And this is kind of summarized by a story uh, about me in college. I got, I got lunch with a friend, and we, we, are, we are still good friends, and God naturally came up in conversation. And now I'm talking about God, I'm talking about Jesus, listening to all these proofs and evidences that Jesus is real and that he rose from the dead and all this stuff. And she, she looks at me and she goes, Scruff, everything you said makes a lot of sense. It makes so much sense. But I don't want anyone telling me what I should and shouldn't do. She wanted to be God. She didn't want Jesus to be God. It's not head knowledge is the problem. It's the heart. It's the heart. Sin has corrupted our hearts. Sin has corrupted our minds and our desires and what we think. We're, it's, all, it's all messed up. We can't, we can't fix ourselves. 
And really the ultimate proof of God is Jesus himself, that he lived a sinless life, he died a sacrificial death, and he rose from the dead three days later. And I hope we get to this in this series, but there is not a more accurate historical fact in the ancient world than the resurrection of Jesus. And as I tell the youth group kids, if someone rose from the dead, I would listen to them. Jesus rose from the dead. He is God. Jesus is the ultimate proof that God exists.